Welcome to Consensual by Unsexual Violence on Campus. SVOC is a student-founded and led activist organization aimed at bringing the discussion about sexual violence to our small town and enacting legislative, social, cultural, and individual change towards protecting and uplifting survivors of sexual violence. Sexual violence is a hugely intersectional issue, so on Consensual, we discuss a large range of topics from mental health and local resources to feminism and capitalism. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SBACNH, or visit our website at sbacnh.org. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, and welcome back to Consensual. I'm Leah. And this is Reagan. And today we're going to be talking about reporting sexual violence and police involvement in um, cases of sexual violence. And specifically, we're going to look at our survey data from 2021 and see what the Conval community um, has to say and has experienced with the police and their cases. Yeah. So I guess there's, there's definitely a lot that we have to talk about with this. Um, I guess, would it help to start by defining some terms, like mm -hmm. defining maybe how, how a couple of things work um, in a more structural way, and then we can dive into like what specifically Conval students are feeling? That sounds perfect. Sweet. Okay, so I guess I can, um, I guess I can tackle the first term that we're going to use a lot throughout the this episode um basically which is you know what is mandate mandated reporting what is mandatory reporting um and the answer to that <laughs> is that mandatory reporting is um it's a it's a state mandate so it is you know mandated by law um and it says that basically if you are an adult in the state of New Hampshire, uh, it is your responsibility or if you're employed by the state. So if you're like a public school teacher or if you work, um, you know, for example, like in the town government, that's it's more stressed, but it also does apply to just anyone um, that is an adult in New Hampshire. If you are an adult, it is your responsibility to report um, signs of child abuse or neglect, if you notice them, um, in in people under the age of 18. So it is a little bit of like a, if you see something, say something type of law, but it's a little, it's more focused on like child abuse, sexual abuse, uh, like emotional abuse. And it, it, it was implemented um, in as a, as a way to protect young people from uh you know uh household abuse and you know sexual abuse although as we're going to talk about it it hasn't necessarily um it, it, it doesn't necessarily function that way within the state currently even though that is how it was intended mm -hmm. yeah and um i guess one of the major parts of it and that's kind of our next thing is it immediately, you know, like sends a report, which means that the police is involved in the case. And um, as long as, or as well as it brings in, um, you know, your family members and the school. And really like when, when those reports happen and the, the school becomes um, a part of it, you kind of can't, almost can't avoid like the school's community involvement as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, it all of a sudden will kind of 
and a lot of the time like there could be a student who's kind of like unbeknownst to them maybe talking to like a trusted teacher or especially like a counselor um and then their situation kind of blows up in their face and it becomes not just dealing with um the situation but also dealing with um reporting and like um kind of putting themselves on a stage and like all of that sort of thing um which is kind of what we're talking about um later on i guess um and like yeah. different ways that we could um, do the whole reporting process or like counseling um, within the school. Um, but yeah, I guess the next like thing to really define um, would be looking at um, how the courts in New Hampshire um, kind of go about, um, I guess like prosecuting for sexual violence and how they determine um, sexual violence, different types um, and how it happens. So there are two kind of main points um, to look at. And one is the way that um, New Hampshire describes consent, which is, mm -hmm. it's a little bit tricky because they don't outright um, have a definition for consent. Um, instead, I guess it's kind of just assumed that people generally understand it which is quite the assumption to make. Um, but instead there's, there's, this, <laughs> there's this list of like, I don't know, maybe like 10 to 15 um, like bullet points basically that um, outline what it is not consent. Um, and those like some examples are like intoxication, um, age, like a major age difference, um, like what being like a minor, um, I think like use of physical force. I don't know, Reagan, can you think of any others? Yeah, the it's like a full laundry list of, you know, f specific phrases that one has said or like an amount of time that has passed since your assault or like you said, like an age difference and the age difference thing, there's even like it kind of minutia it within that because, you know, yeah, lot, the law changes depending mm -hmm. on whether the age gap um, is large enough between minors and adults. And like, there's a little bit of um, gray area that is addressed with kind of like special age um, statutory rape laws. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of like you mentioned, it is it is an amorphous list that is kind of, it it receives as a just long shot in the dark. Yeah, just <laughs> like hoping it'll catch all. Exactly, yeah. what a non-consensual experience looks like as opposed to defining what a consensual experience looks like and using that as like a ruler for, you know, anything that is not, uh, you know, what people usually describe as, you know, freely given, reversible, um, informed, you know, all, yeah. all, all of these better um, representations of consent, it, you know, it would be more useful to define in law what consent is with that definition, because yeah. um, it's, it's, it's much clearer to understand what consent is not uh, or what consent is that you know what consent is not and it's kind of just this weird like outdated um method of talking about sexual violence that is not uh inclusive of all experiences and actually like leaves a lot of people's experiences out and does not cl like classify what is definitely considered to be rape as rape in a lot of cases. Yeah. And it also is like very much not survivor centric to the way that it's focused specifically on like 
kind of like actions of the perpetrator or like of the situation um right and it all like it just makes for I mean so much leeway I guess within the court system like and if it doesn't fit um like exactly one of those things or like how difficult it can be to prove those specific um like things on the list like it just makes it um all the more more all the more difficult when like you know, obviously proving sexual assault, like in the, in a court is already like an extremely difficult thing to do just to like, not even have it laid out, um, in like a way that makes sense or, um, is that all is like necessarily even applicable to every situation just makes it even more difficult. Certainly like can be re-traumatizing for a lot of survivors of sexual violence, Mm -hmm. just going through court and having to repeatedly justify um, that, you know, their experience was valid and and real Um, because, you know, within this laundry list of what consent doesn't look like, there, like you said, so many opportunities for loopholes Um, and it's really just built, it does feel like, like, the legal definition of consent in New Hampshire is built so that it can accommodate for non-consensual experiences, mm-hmm. which is is like a really sick way, you know, to think about how we want to approach like cases of sexual violence. So good point. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, do we feel good about all those terms? Like, do you think that there's anything else that we would need to look at a little yeah. bit more? I think, I think that's generally like a good overview of, you know, what mandated reporting is and like who are the key players involved in mandated reporting. Um, we'll obviously come to talk more about like anecdotal um, experiences with mandated reporting and how, how jarring it can be for some students to be thrown into, you know, dealing with the court system and dealing with their assault and speaking with their parents way before that they are ready to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of terms, I think, yeah, I think we covered all the good ones. Yeah. Okay. Not the good ones. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we're going to just move into looking at and talking a little bit about the statistics that um, we got. Um, for our 2021 survey, which was pretty specifically too about um, focused on either um, Convo students or like recent alumni so that we could really get a good read on like the current Convo culture um, and like the experiences of the people there. Um, So we had a couple questions about mandatory mandatory reporting and then um, also police involvement and like, um, yeah, punishment, I don't know, like the court system in general. but starting, I think the the first one, so like knowing that like we just explained mandatory reporting, um, I feel like it's a term that, you know, people aren't as aware of as they should be. And I think I think if people are, it is often more so in like the if you see something, say something way, or just like knowing that like like a lack of trust in adults. Um so um knowing that like I mean, especially the staff of a public school is like, it's um, a lot more prevalent for them than anyone else. And 21% of our respondents weren't aware that the staff are mandatory reporters, which I think already could just put um, people in a really unsafe position, not knowing that. Um, Right. Because, you know, how it presents itself, the situation in which, you know, you may 
be reported uh, for saying something that reflects child abuse or um, negligence. Like that is a situation in which you're, you know, seeing a counselor or you're talking to a teacher or I don't know, like you're at the health center or whatever it is. Um, and it is if if you have no idea that 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 precedent is in place, sharing like what is going on with you becomes very tricky territory because mm -hmm. you don't, um, you, you, they're, you know, for to not even know that that is a mandate in place is, is scary for kids because they just don't know what they're getting into when they're yeah. going to the counseling office or the health center or whatever it is. And I definitely feel like, I mean, I think across the board in like high schools, but at Comcast specifically, like there's a very strong and like a good culture of, um, um, students and teachers like having close bonds and like being able to talk mm -hmm. about things and like so like not even just um, counselors but like going to like a trusted teacher and like there are some really great right. teachers and like I have even like like I've had run-ins where like I start like telling something that I think is more of like an anecdote and I was like <laughs> sat down by a teacher and told like so I'm going to need to report this and I was like no 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 please because yeah. like it wasn't and like in this case, it it wasn't the most like serious thing, and like you ended up like not. But it's it's really stressful because like I think of a lot of those teachers as people that like I would just like talk about my life to. Um, mm -hmm. And like and you know people with more experience who might actually have the ability to help you. Yeah, with whatever exactly. You're going through, and like but they are required by law to report your situation and that's that's the thing is like i feel like what people don't understand about mandated reporting is that it was implemented with very good intentions mm -hmm. and when people report um instances of child abuse it is like oftentimes you know it would be it would be you know crude to say that they don't also have good intentions that they don't hope that you know your experience filing with the police is isn't positive and, yeah um that they i they don't want to be cornering you into a situation where you have to tell maybe your unsupportive parents about a really traumatizing experience so the mandate is like being enforced by the state um regardless of its intentions and regardless of you know your individual teachers intentions yeah. you know it it is it is it is like a state mandate that's in place and um it's affecting students in kind of in a verse way than 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 it was intended mm -hmm. yeah and i think like i i guess knowing like how convo operates and the in the fact like with um sexual assault specifically like so much of it is between students too it's like mm -hmm. something that you are more likely to like go like or, or like could go to a teacher too because like they're removed in some sense but they also like have maybe like an understanding and it just is like mm -hmm. it's it feels like such an unfortunate situation I guess um and yeah it's really like the lack of knowledge that is I guess disheartening and then knowing that like our actual counselors like um there's really nobody to go to because because we don't have like an opportunity for students to talk to counselors who won't do that um and like don't yeah. aren't mandated to do that and we like the next um another statistic we got about it was that 66 percent of the respondents said they would not feel comfortable talking to a school counselor about reporting um their assault and like I mean, that could be for a myriad of reasons, but. Um, is that, quick question, do you know, is that statistic like 
independent or dependent of like the student knowing about mandate mandatory reporting do you know because i'm just curious like i wonder if that 66 percent figure is representative of like just general apathy towards school counseling or if it's like you know includes knowledge that maybe some of these respondents don't feel comfortable because of mandated reporting um i believe it is um it's more so it's dependent it's like of the respondents that answered that they like had been assaulted but i can double gotcha. check and at the same time, like, I think they might not, I mean, about, I mean, clearly, like, about a fifth of the respondents, like, weren't aware, but, like, as far as taking the survey, it did include a definition, so they would be already right. slightly aware at that point. Yeah, um, I think you're right that that question was posed next to questions about, like, if you have experienced a, an assault or if you have experienced some level of violation would you feel comfortable and i think even then we put like even you know there was room for responders to answer had they like not been assaulted as well yes so i think it reflects like i think that's a pretty good number reflecting like whether or not people feel comfortable talking to school counseling about you know sexual trauma yeah and like even so I'm looking at it now and it's like it's more of a it's would you um so I guess like as much as like we also had you know like a large amount of respondents like had experienced um assault and like probably like any like anything like worth um like or like any sort I don't know like a bunch of things during their time at school you know that they would like go and talk to a counselor about um, so I think people would have a pretty good grasp, but it also is kind of a read of like general, um, yeah, like trust in them. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think another thing that we could talk about within this kind of um, cloud <laughs> is is also talking. So we've mentioned like faith in counseling, faith in, you know, being able to talk to a trusted adult about an experience. Um, but beyond that, like once we have police involved, we got like a, a good amount of figures um, about, you know, how respondents feel about the police, how people, respondents feel about punitive justice and the current criminal justice system, mm -hmm. how they would feel about, you know, the possibility of reporting or, um, you know, going through the court of law with their case. And um, these numbers are also quite saddening. And, and I think it's just like the read is, doesn't really communicate the fact that, you know, these are all real students, recent yeah. alumni, uh, current students answering these questions. So the data is incredibly, you know, focused. It yeah. is reflective of like how our immediate school district feels. Um, and I guess, should I, should I read the numbers? Should I just sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so a uh, one figure represents that 24% of the responders seek jail time for their abuser. And I think that question was posed uh, in relation to, you know, um, if you have experienced assault uh, or some level of violation, um, or if, if you were to, you know, choose a fate for someone who has, you know, assaulted you, what would it be? And 
um, about a quarter of those responders answered jail time, which I think is that kind of subverts a lot of popular thinking about, you know, what people actually want from these cases. Yeah. Um, because uh, among some of the other options were, um, you know, things like restorative healing, community service. I think there was like some mm. that were just like simply an apology or and um, therapy you know, like too. Therapy. Right. Oh, that's right. The therapy yeah. for the um, for the abuser. Yes. And um, I think that's a very interesting. That's a very interesting figure because again, it it really does undermine, you know, a lot of the pop, most popular about how people what people think survivors want and need um from you know quote-unquote justice and then uh, another one of those figures is that 10 percent of all respondents reported their um sexual assaults to the police so 10 that is 10 percent of all respondents who have experienced assault uh, reported sexual assault to the police um 37 felt like their sexual assault case wasn't severe enough to be reported we put enough obviously in quotation because that is a um subjective term and um actually i don't know leah do you want to dive into that like why we would put enough in that um question and kind of what it it prods at yeah i mean i think it's says a lot about like the internal like psyche of somebody who has experienced assault and like um I, I, and I think a lot of that could also like stem from the way that um, I guess like popular culture and like media kind of like looks at um, any sort of sexual assault and it tends to be this like overwhelmingly um, violent, intense, um, mm -hmm. um, I guess like harrowing and like extremely like demeaning, which like it, it is it is like demeaning, I think no right. matter what, but like we just put it through this like, I guess, um, like intense dramatized lens that's almost um like cinematic in a way like I feel the way that like we look at assault is so um dramatic and it feels like that's a lot of the time the only way that people will like pay attention and look at it in the way that like um it is seen as like one of the worst things that you can do or like you could experience yeah. but um it doesn't leave a lot of room for like individual experiences um because I mean, sexual assault can range from like harassment, um, which could even like be online um, into to obviously like, um, I mean, it can be violent and it can be yeah. um, really intense. But I think that that read has just left a lot of people not feeling like their cases are um, intense. Six. Yeah. And like doubting that like they even... Um, I mean, thinking that like they might have blame, but then also just like knowing how historically uh, little the police do for um, people who have experienced sexual assault. Um, like maybe if yeah. they even know that like they've like experienced like a lot of trauma and that like somebody and like that they deserve like some sort of justice, um, knowing that even if they did attempt to report, um, it's very, very unlikely that the police and that the community would like be on their side and they would get somewhere. So I think it's like right. a little bit of both like self-doubting and also doubting of the police. Yeah, and we had we have that number right below there too, the 6%, another statistic uh, stated that they didn't report uh, for the reason that they do not believe in police effectiveness. 
Um, and I think that is actually like, although that's a pretty low number, I think it says more in omission, like what, what are the 94% other reasons that other people aren't reporting that, Mm -hmm. you know, don't have anything to do with how they think that their case will be ultimately handled. Um, because it, it shows that, you know, there's so much more, um, like you said, going on in the psyche when it comes to reporting, than you know, the altruism of the case, like the success of their, or quote unquote success of their case, because um, 6% of people feel, um, you know, against reporting for the, for this, for the uh, philosophical reason that has to do with police effectiveness. There are another 94% who aren't even concerned with their, with effectiveness or, but are concerned with, you know, um, the intrinsic, pain of, you know, dealing with assault and not being able to process healing before being thrown into um, a system of reporting and, and, um, and, you know, speaking with the police, speaking with parents and, you know, dealing with the aftermath of reporting, which is terrifying. I can certainly speak for, um, you know, myself, but thinking about the aftermath of a report is a incredibly terrifying position to be in as a survivor mm-hmm. um just you know foremost because it is um it's it's like throwing a incredibly vulnerable and you know unhealed uh, bruise into the public light and people in high school are mean (laughs) people can be mean uh, and say things that they don't understand hold as much weight as they do um and you know that that's there's just i can't express enough like how much extreme pressure there is on survivors in this moment in this moment that they have been um you know asked to file a police report because they have let something slip in a meeting um, that indicates that they have been, uh, you know, witnessed to or experienced um, some level of, you know, whatever physical, emotional, sexual, verbal assault um, mm-hmm. there is. Yeah. I think uh, like all in all, like looking at the responses we got on that question specifically to it just like, this is like, one of probably the most saddening ones um to read too because like i mean because there's all of that like there's the social pressure and like all of that and then there's like feeling like um the police won't do anything and then there's also like a large chunk of people who kind of have like resigned that like there isn't evidence and like knowing that they won't be able to get anywhere so it's like this very interesting because like most people don't seem to want to anyways and like I'm and I'm sure for like those that did respond yes like um you know the reporting process wasn't necessarily easy or um even like fruitful in any way yeah um and you know like even if you do want to report like it's not necessarily like did we have a statistic on like there's this whole section on reporting um and you know people who who had experiences um sorry i was i just got a quick call um sorry i just had to reorient myself and there was a whole section on you know what you would do 
or I don't know what people's real experiences were, you know, this was like only check if this applies to type situation um, where it was, uh, am I, am I incorrect in, in so remembering I, that it was like a hundred percent of respondents feeling unsatisfied with the way that their cases were handled, you know, independently or independently of the police? That one, for some reason, that was um, part of the 2020 survey. And oh, gotcha. I think it like, and in the way that like we revamped it like did not have the foresight of like what one of the questions was and like changed the format to make it more make it make more sense and then we lost getting um that question which was really too bad um because i know at least in 2020 um there was like as we had like zero percent of all respondents like had any um Positive. success or like yeah positive yeah. result right and when we say success like I think we're both kind of like those there's air quotation yeah what that means because obviously as we've been discussing like what is traditional and maybe you know the most popular narrative about what survivors want um out of you know justice is not necessarily what they are really asking for and what is like best suited to their emotional health and needs mm -hmm. and that's something that happens in mandated reporting is that you know survivors and, and we're talking about you know survivors under the age of 18 and so these are you know not adults um which sadly you know we we <laughs> discuss this as a group all the time but that is you know there are a lot of people experiencing non-consensual experiences under the age of 18 and this having this law in place makes it so that that survivor is asked to um, you know, suppress all of their, all of the trauma that they are actively experiencing in mm -hmm. order to make a large decision about how they want their case to be handled in the external uh, manifestations of like what we see as the punitive justice system, you know, mandated reporting asks us to file a police report and speak with your parents. And um, if you proceed, if you choose to proceed with um your report you know, there is possibility for court there's possibility that you know the abusers whole family is notified and involved um and it's just a lot that is a that like again i'm just reiterating that that it's it is a tremendous amount of pressure on one person and um a successful reporting experience is certainly not um as cut and clear um as mm -hmm. as people may suggest uh definitely um i think like that's i guess like the reporting process and like no matter um how it ends you know is not going to be i mean especially like in in no way could, could be like beneficial i think um for a survivor at least like the process of it because it's so often um re-traumatizing and um i mean the police especially like do not um i mean it's just it's not survivor centric and um within a punitive justice system it's about like um you know proving yourself and um getting evidence right. so that you can prosecute um the like the offender and especially like if you don't have like a strong support system around you um and like you know you may you feel paralyzed by yeah the, yeah um yeah I realize, I realize we've mentioned, you know, the term survivor centric a couple of times and haven't clearly defined it. And I think it's obviously pretty self-explanatory, but do you want to do like a quick 
what that means in terms of like the court, what survivor centric would mean? Yeah, sure. Okay. So survivor centric is kind of um, opposed to the punitive justice system in many ways, because um, the I guess like it's easy to define the purpose of the punitive justice system, which is based off of um, like punishment and um, seeking, I guess, like penance for the offender of a crime and doesn't really um, put the put stock in um, actually like healing the damages and making sure that the um, like the victim in like the legal terms would um, actually um, get like what they wanted and, um, you know, um, like the community would be healed. So survivor centric justice is really just like putting um, the person who experienced the crime first and like their wants and needs, which isn't always necessarily, um, you know, the like court ordered jail time of like these specific like years, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like in a lot of the time, like looking at even just our survey responses, the data we were talking about with um, like what people wanted um, with a lot of it being, first of all, like a really large chunk of like not wanting anything, but the therapy, the community service. Um, so those are the types of things that are more, I guess, um, uh, I, I yeah. guess more propped up with survivor-centric justice. Yeah, that was good. That was a good explanation. Cool. <laughs> um, Sweet. I also wanted to a little bit go back and focus on the uh, first two um, data points for uh, the the police thing, the 24% seeking jail time while 10% responded. I just think it's interesting, or 10% reported. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting to look at those two as a pair and see, like, if even, even the amount of people who... Um, wanted jail time and like thought of that or like wished for it and like would see that as an option like only um less than half of those people i mean it's hard to say whether it's the actual same people but you can you know like a smaller amount um than who wanted jail time like even made it to the reporting stage um which i just think is really interesting and shows that like the current justice system in our police like is so incredibly stalled um, that like even and people kind of like know that from the outset or like you know don't want to go through the trauma of it like and as much as they would wish to see yeah. some sort of like penance um, you know they don't even get there for a whole yeah. ton of reasons. Well I think another figure that kind of stands right out for, to that point is um, the that 36 percent of yeah. respondents seek absolutely nothing yes. for their abuser, um, which I actually think, you know, that is the majority pool for what people were asking for yeah. um, from their abuser. And I think actually that number, um, we haven't talked about it yet, is, but it's probably one of the, you know, m most disparaging because it points, it indicates like directly that there is a large, um, you know, sense of apathy towards just reporting in general mm -hmm. or uh, towards feeling like it, 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 even if not reporting like seeking justice period for yeah. one's assault like they feel so dire about the current like resources available and options that exist that they just seek absolutely nothing at all and and that nothing means I don't know nothing when in comparison to when some of the other options included things like an apology or things like therapy or counseling or jail time seems like a really um, clear, it's a clear choice that respondents yeah. made to choose, you know, 
I don't want anything at all. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously that speaks to, that obviously speaks to, you know, also a level of fear, um, a level of fear about, you know, what even reckoning with one's assault would look like and how commonplace it is for these assaults to happen um, and for survivors to internalize and move on with their lives without seeking any formal, um, you know, path of, of justice. And by formal, I, I would mean either punitive or restorative. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I would hate, like, I would, I just want to clarify that, like, I would hate for my, like, to come across in a way where it sounds like I dissuade survivors from, um, you know, seeking their own paths. Um, of healing that are independent of, you know, any type of formal reporting process that exists or mm-hmm. justice process that exists. Um, but that's different than seeking absolutely nothing. It is. Um, and it just, it feels very like, it's just like defeatist almost. And like, not like, not, not to put like any blame on the, on the um, right, survivors, right, obviously, right. but like, as like a trend and like seeing that that's kind of an attitude that people um have taken or like they just you know and and a lot of a lot of the other like responses that were kind of like individual people um things just like like out of my life and like changing and like feeling guilty and all of this stuff too so it's like I I I just it it's clear I guess like how little like actual um how how little outlets there are that will like actually give you um any like sense of peace or like real change you know and it it's interesting to me especially just like validation support like there are so few like active and present resources that exist for survivors that you know exist purely for the sake of telling them what happened to you happened and it shouldn't have happened it wasn't your fault that there's there are so few of, of those presences you know yeah. in, in in the combat community that survivors feel that that their trauma that their experiences are better left untouched period yeah um, that they they don't even uh wish to seek a place in which they're being validated or yeah. supported because the environment is so harsh yeah and it it just is like um it it especially interests me knowing that like the the wording of that question was um what outcome or consequences did you seek or wish um and it just is like like not necessarily things that people like went out and did like just things that like they may may have wanted right um like even in an ideal world yeah which is like, oh, I can understand like, like ones that are, I mean, I can understand uh, like the, like the conditions that like have made this response, like what it is. Um, but a lot of the responses that did say things like, um, like guilt or like feeling bad or like an apology and stuff like that. It's like, even if you know that like, that might not be something that can happen for you, like you still have that wish and kind of that like self-worth and knowing that like you deserve right. that. So like the, just a large chunk right. of nothing is just especially like heartbreaking. Indicative. Yeah. yeah. Indicative of just feeling right. No, I think like we've really touched on it. Just 
desperation. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a good like rock bottom point to transition into mm-hmm. what reporting could look like in a different structure or um, without mandated reporting or how we can create safer environments for students so that they don't. 36% of, you know, Condal students aren't responding that they seek absolutely no, you know, uh, reparations for their, their traumatic experiences. Um, and um, I kind of just lost my train of thought there, but basically, yeah, let's start talking about <laughs> the other side of this coin mm-hmm. um, that acknowledges that, yeah, it's a really shitty situation. Um, however, there are alternatives that exist and, you know, there are always resources that exist for survivors out there um, mm-hmm. and things that we could be doing better for survivors to make reporting more survivor centric, um, which include <laughs> things like the implementation of non-mandatory reporting counseling in schools. So this is like, that's a lot of like (laughs) dependent clauses. (laughs) Um, But basically what it means is that we would putting inside of schools a resource for students um, to talk about their experiences, to unpack their experiences, to understand what's happened to them, um, understand their options, understand, you know, how the counselor has a role in the entire situation without having the pressure of um, mended re- the, the mended reporting looming over um, both the counselor and the survivor's heads. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like I, I said, survivors will be able to speak more freely about their experiences um, and receive de-escalation treatment, which is imperative for a survivor to be able to feel the agency that they have after their assault Mm -hmm. to make a decision about what they how want to carry through with healing um and there's actually we could you know do a whole nother episode on this but there is so much research um that is aimed mostly at you know domestic violence shelters because it's a place where we can you know observe this trend but so much research that shows um that people in crisis, people in emotional, um, you know, sexual, uh, financial crisis are, and this is also just common sense, they are like much more incapable or less um, willing to make choices about their immediate future or their distant future Mm -hmm. than if they were treated with de-escalation techniques and if they were allowed to address the root of their trauma before thinking about how on earth they're going to move on with their lives after, you know, what's happened to them. Yeah. Um, so having that in place, having non-mandatory reporting counseling in place could not only, you know, prevent the amount of people who feel like their experiences have been put on blast and unwillingly um, shared, mm-hmm but it could also, you know, genuinely help survivors reform, you know, their bodily autonomy and, um, and grow their uh, ability to make choices for themselves about what would be healthy and what they would want out of this situation, which is, it's just, there's no space for that within the current system. Yeah. And I think hearing you say that brings me back like one more time to the, to the statistic 
um, of the 36% who like, um, you know, don't want anything. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think, I think that state of like, and like possibly, I mean, we don't know the story of like each individual who answered the survey, but like knowing what the situation is like at Confow, like it could be people who are still like stunted by that trauma and like never were able to um, right. like Stunt is a good word. move, yeah, move on um, and not, not move on, but like move out of, I guess, like that, um, like that paralyzed point and like feeling like you can't make a, a big decision and like stuck um, within like the actual act. And um, I was also thinking like just the implementation of having um, these counselors um, like in a school, like hearing about them, I think like would also just help with awareness that like um, mandatory reporting is something that exists um, within the public school. Like, no, like I could just imagine somebody hearing like these are a new like non-mandated non reporters and like somebody being like, oh, so everybody else is like you can kind of like right. understand it from there. And um, having that resource could, is just like a path for probably a lot of people to not only like get the support they need, because there are a lot of kids who are just like kind of on principle, like averse right. to talking to um, people in the school, adults in the school and counselors and all of that, because well, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to no, well, cut you off, but I was just going to say, well, that's like exactly, that's exactly right. Like implementing this type of counselor would fundamentally change, you know, what teacher or I guess what counselor student relationships look like in mm -hmm. a school, which, you know, provides an opportunity for you know, a big, a larger culture of trust, um, you know, and also it communicates, it directly communicates that the school uh, in survivors and taking care of survivors um, yes. first before it is like, as it's trying to gotcha them. Yeah, that is certainly like how the current situation is set up, where it, it again, not survivor centric, it doesn't prioritize the needs of these children, people under the age of 18, um, they're incredibly demanding emotional uh, needs. And by implementing a counselor that could provide de-escalation treatment, could provide PTSD tra treatment and help mm -hmm. students process what's happened and, you know, understand all of their resources so that they can make a decision that they feel confident in about how they want to um, approach healing. That commute, that's, that is, that is clearly represents a value within the school that, you yes. know, we want to holistically take care of survivors of sexual violence and we do not exist to perpetuate um, a system that harms survivors more than it helps them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well said and kind of like the ultimate, like, I guess like art, like perfect, like argument for it. I don't, like there's just like, <laughs> perfect. There's so, <laughs> there's so much to be getting. Like I can, I can picture it like not only helping like individuals um, who like need that kind like need to be to have that like trauma-informed counseling and um, the non-mandated like reporting um, but it also just like really being helpful and like healing to the school culture because um, there's already like like even I, I guess like kids a lot of the time like just don't feel comfortable talking to adults and especially I would say like um, those who are going to school counselors are often ones that like um, you know, don't have that resource, like, 
through outside of school and like through their parents and that type of thing and might already like struggle building connections with adults in that way so like to go to a counselor and tell them and then be like find out that like every like you know the police are involved and your family's involved and all this stuff like it just feels like that would be like to be in that position would be absolutely like like shatter your trust um because the school like the the offering of counseling and stuff is like is really great and um it makes it so that kids who like might not have access um can get can get it but like it's clearly you know with that like you need to think about the kinds of students who are who are using that and like make sure that it actually is like fitting for them um and will be helpful and i think like the the reporting and having like the trauma-informed counselors is like so clearly what is needed yeah and I, and I think like at this point that I'm kind of thinking back most to my um, experience at the condo, uh, going through a situation that we have, you know, almost explicitly described in this podcast, <laughs> um, where my personal trauma was relayed to a counselor uh, in a situation where I felt like I was safe to talk about what was going on, like finally safe to talk about what was going on, because I obviously couldn't, I felt like I couldn't talk about it with anybody else. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, you know, one of the most common um feelings and the aftermath of sexual assault that it's like humiliating and and it's and it's obviously you know and that's not that's nowhere near the survivor's fault or um it shouldn't be humiliating and it and and, um it doesn't say anything about the survivor but i just know being in that situation scary and to speak with an adult feels like something that you know is right and safe and what has been, you know, posited to me as safe. Um, so when my, uh, when I was informed almost immediately after, you know, spilling my beans <laughs> that, uh, my, I would have to, you know, talk to my mom, talk to my, my dad and, um, speak with the police. I, it was just, again, like I've used paralyzing, just mm-hmm. impossible. And, um, around that time is when I also started, that is exactly around the time that I started withdrawing from Conval um, slowly more and more and taking, you know, online classes, which ultimately ended up being like a, a beneficial experience for me as a person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it did, it did, it, it hurt to feel like, you know, school where I spent seven hours a day was no longer a safe place at all. Yeah. Um, and, and, it definitely like grew, um, I became resentful of a lot of, you know, um, uh, the administration and and the messages that they were spreading versus the uh, genuine investments that they weren't showing. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's all, that's all I will say about that because, you know, that story is available in in other places, (laughs) but I definitely just wanted to affirm that that's a terrifying situation. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it breeds distrust in a school community and it, and, um, just that's not something that you want students to feel like. And I think all educators and even the people who implemented, um, the mandate of, you know, mandated reporting would agree that they, that's not how they intended it to work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. And I think that's a, it's a very powerful story, like your specific, um, like 
I guess like little run-in with with the convo um <laughs> the convo counseling department um but it does like really speak for um I'm sure like a lot of our survey respondents because I mean we know that like we currently don't have um non-mandated re reporting so um right. even if this hasn't happened to everybody it's definitely like a a possibility and like I'm sure it's happened plenty of times um yeah it's it's a reality for a lot of yeah a lot of you know young people experiencing assault uh which shouldn't be happening in the first place but um because of just the silence around the situation at whole you know a lot of people don't know mandated reporting is is a facet of you know that experience that specific experience yeah and i think like today i mean we've been talking talking specifically about like reporting in the justice system we're very much are like focused on kind of the aftermath um and like knowing that sexual assault is like a reality in our world at this time like and especially is like really prevalent in schools i feel like it's so like i mean it's it's just so important that like we're doing the best that we can on the other on the other side of things and like ensuring that yeah. survivors and it's especially like those that are you know continue to have to go to school every day with their assaulters um or maybe like don't have a support like a strong support system um like they're just some it's like an especially vulnerable group of people i think like um survivors who are like in high school and we need to like be doing a better job to support them and um you know fixing our reporting process is kind of the one of the most i guess like accessible and like clear clear cut things to be doing um to help those people so yeah. um i mean if this conversation has like um interested anybody a lot um we are going to like we've also made a zine um just like within SVOC that has kind of this in information more distilled um so um you know you can kind of understand those definitions and like know how they play out a little bit more and you know pass that information around and um hopefully you know eventually we can see some change within Convow and within schools you know across the across the state across the country um yeah all of all I those guess, big things yeah i guess i will the only thing i will add is a final note um which i just realized it's just coming up to me now of course as we're wrapping up but <laughs> um that we are sbop is doing work to communicate with you know conval counseling mm -hmm. we have um over the past for a while now for uh, over the past year um this has been uh this idea has been presented um, to the Conval administration, so they are aware um, that students have an issue with mandated reporting and how it is manifesting in schools. Um, the administration is aware that um, there are some students who would be very um, pleased by the information implementation of something like non-mandated reporting counseling. Um, so just hopefully with this episode, uh, more of that, you know, support yes. is expressed. Show administration um, that you're cutting out a little bit, Reagan. Other listeners, the community. Oh, jeez. Oh no! I think you might want to hear me. I can hear you a little bit, but I mean, now I'm already talking, so you're, I like talked over you. So you're gonna have to. You might want to go back to. Um, I don't know. You were is I I I heard clearly up until like I guess you were like we're doing this um 
Jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. Was that a lot? A big cut? It was, no, it was like 30, probably like 20, 30 seconds. Um, but you were like, like, it's something that's oh, shoot. Okay. that's happening well, and like the school will, school's like aware. And like, you were like, hopefully this podcast is something that like continues to. Yes, hopefully like through listening to this, we can garner more support um, and demonstrate further support from community members, from administrators, from teachers, from students, parents, anyone who's listening um, to know that this isn't an option. Um, it's an idea and it is, you know, within the interests of survivors and would be an awesome thing to implement. Yes. All right. So, I mean, I guess let's just hope that work continues to be done on that front and like with SVOC, but also, you know, within the administration and just within right. the community as a whole. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you learned a little and enjoyed hearing from Reagan and I in this episode. Um, I like making them <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, I appreciate you guys and I hope you guys all have a great day and, and go share, share everything you learned. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Bye.